0: I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Welcome to October. It is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2017, and it's episode number 13 of the Wong Takes coming to you right now. It's been a tumultuous week in the world of sports, and Major League season is ending. We're a quarter of the way through the NFL season. We'll get to all that and more coming up, so let's get it. Number one... The NCAA corruption scandal that broke, I think, right after the last one was released on Tuesday or Wednesday. The FBI arrested 10 people last Tuesday on charges of fraud and corruption related to the NCAA and various shoe companies and business executives. It's crazy. There were four assistant coaches at Power 5 schools and multiple Adidas agents arrested by the FBI. And this happened since the FBI has been conducting a secret operation since 2015, using wiretaps, which is getting phone calls, surveillance footage, and undercover agents to catch coaches and Adidas employees accepting bribes to pay athletes to sign with Adidas-sponsored schools and certain business executives. So, for example, a coach might pay a recruit's family $10,000 to say, okay, recruit, go sign with this business executive because they're tied to the school. And, of course, that's illegal. And June Kim, who's the acting U.S. attorney in this case, said that, quote, month after month, the defendants exploited the hoop dreams of student-athletes around the country, allegedly treating them as little more than opportunities to enrich themselves through bribery and fraud schemes, end quote. And the fallout from this crazy scandal that has rocked the college sports amateur athletics world, really, Louisville head coach Rick Pitino and the athletic director there, Tom Jurich, were fired in response to a specific claim that they paid $100,000 through Adidas to a recruit's family. And Louisville's already on probation for another incident incident involving prostitutes, so not only will this have ramifications for Rick Pitino, who's been a coach for many decades and has won a national championship with Louisville, this is going to have far-reaching effects on the program, i would probably think, too. Now, as far as an incident like this, I mean, we should have been able to see this coming, because the practicality of cheating and bribes in an amateur association, a nonprofit organization, the NCAA actually is, that brings in billions of dollars every year. If you don't let students get paid, it creates a black market. When you make things illegal, people will do it anyway. Because... If you're not paying athletes, it's not a level playing field. Athletes don't... The world is... The amateur world is not a pure society where athletes go for pure reasons. They go because they got paid to go somewhere. So unless you allow the students to be paid, and I think I've talked about this before, unless you allow the students to be paid, people are going to pay students. These universities are going to continue to pay students to get an advantage. So... I also think that you should allow college or you should allow athletes to go straight from high school to the NBA like it used to be and this way you got stars like LeBron and Kobe cuz you don't ha- you don't see in other fields you don't see people having to go through college to get jobs. I mean it's recommended, but you don't have to. And honestly, when some of these athletes especially in a sport like basketball where the scandal was where athletes already have the mental capacity and the strength to play in the NBA coming straight out of high school, not only should the athletes be paid, but they should be allowed to come straight out of high school so that you prevent this whole scheme of fraud and bribery from happening. And also, the NCAA, it seems like at this point, all they're doing is covering stuff up because this is not like some sort of internal NCAA investigation. This is the FBI coming in. So what has the NCAA been doing all this time? if they let this happen? Why doesn't the NCAA get a handle on their coaches and their universities? So um, this is still a developing story. If any new developments come out, we'll update you on it. But right now it looks like a lot of these universities are really going to get in trouble for these bribery schemes. But of course, until it's legalized, until playing pay. Paying players is legalized. This stuff is still going to happen, and we're going to keep seeing these FBI investigations, but not much is going to change. All right. Coming off of that, we're going to do a few updates with the various sports that are happening right now. Major League Baseball. The season ended Sunday. The AL wildcard game is actually... It should be happening right now when this comes out. But anyway, let's preview the ALDS matchups coming in. First matchup is the Indians who are 102 who went 102 and 60 versus either the Twins who are 85 and 77 or the Yankees who are 91 and 71. And the Twins and Yankees game should be happening right now. The Indians of course had that very long winning streak, I think it was 22 or 23 and they haven't lost back-to-back games since August 22nd and 23rd. And they also have the best team ERA in baseball. So they're coming in on a roll. Pitching is what wins you championships in baseball. The power bats can go cold, but the pitching will always be there for you. Interestingly, with the Twins and the Yankees, the Twins lost 100 games last year and the Yankees missed the playoffs. So both of these teams came off disappointing campaigns to make the playoffs. The Twins behind their young stars and their speed and the Yankees behind Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez, the rookies. And as far as the series, I'm going Indians in four. I don't think the Twins or the Yankees really possess a reliable enough rotation and not a formidable opponent for the Indians who have emerged as a powerhouse not only this year but last year, so they've got the playoff experience, and that's that series. Next up, the other American League division series, the Astros, who went 101-60 and versus the Red Sox, went 93-69 and in the regular season. This is an intriguing matchup. The Astros scored more runs, or the most runs in the major leagues, by 35 runs. And they had the best batting average by 9 percentage points. So this is a very good hitting team behind their young stars. Altuve, Springer, Correa, and Bregman. And the Red Sox won the AL East for the second straight year over the division rival, the Yankees. And this is actually the first time ever... Since the, for the division's history in 1969, that a team has won the AL East two consecutive or sorry, the first time the Red Sox have won the AL East two consecutive years since the division's beginning. As for the series, I'm going Astros in five. I think the Astros will struggle with the top of the Red Sox rotation, like Chris Sale, but their hitting and speed is too much, and they won 100 games this year, so they had to win that for a reason. They've been really good at home and the whole Houston city of course will be behind them after the devastation that was Harvey. Moving over to the NL, the Dodgers who went 104 and 58, they actually slowed down at the end of the regular season and versus the Diamondbacks who went 93 and 69 or the Rockies who went 87 and 75. That wild card game is tomorrow. It's a divisional matchup. No matter who wins the wild card game, both of the teams will be from the NL West. So this series will be more even than what the records show, what people say because these teams have faced each other so much that they're going to know each other and there's going to be some intensity in the air. And these teams were really good during the regular season. The Dodgers actually had the second best pitching staff by ERA, I believe, second or third. So this is going to be a lot of fun. The Dodgers started the season 91 and 36 and limped to the end of the year. However, I don't think this should carry over to the postseason, because normally the postseason is like a whole new year, but we've also seen the Dodgers struggle in the playoffs before, so I'm worried about them getting past the division foe. Regardless of who wins the wildcard games, the Dodgers are going to face hitters who have had big years. For the Diamondbacks, J.D. Martinez actually slugged 690 on the year. He Kind of had an undercover good year after being traded. And Paul Goldschmidt, the consistent all-star for the Arizona Diamondbacks, who haven't been good in the past, so he hasn't gotten much of the national spotlight, especially being in the southwest of the United States. But he had a quietly amazing year, 120 RBIs, the fourth most in the league. And the Rockies aren't so bad either. Charlie Blackman, their leadoff hitter, actually hit 331 this year and slugged six oh one, which is nothing to be ashamed of. And of course, of course, Nolan Arenado, the gold glove-winning third baseman, For the Rockies had 132 RBIs on the year, the second most in the league. So you're going to see big RBI guys, you're going to see big power guys against the Dodgers. And I'm actually going Dodgers in five for this one, because like the Astros, they've just got too much talent up and down the lineup, too many power arms, You, Darvish, Alex Wood, Clayton Kershaw. It's going to be too much for whoever they're facing, but this one I wouldn't be surprised if we see an upset. And the final division series... The Washington Nationals, who went 97-65, and 65, versus the Chicago Cubs, who went 92-70 and 70 and are coming off a World Series victory last season. Nationals have had a lot of time to relax. They've had the division clinch for three weeks. The Miami Marlins, who were the second-best team in the NL East, were couldn't keep up with them, despite Giancarlo Stanton's efforts. And they actually finished with the second-best record in franchise history, so another team that's kind of gone under the radar. The Cubs had the best second-half record in the National League at 49-24. and 24. So after a lackluster first half, they're coming in hot, and then maybe they're starting to get some of that playoff mojo back. And I'm actually going Cubs in four for this one, because the Nationals have struggled in the playoffs, even a year like 2012 where they were projected to go really far but ended up losing to the Giants. Or 2014, whoops. And also the experience of the Cubs is, of course, a factor in this series. Of course, because the Cubs in the World Series, they know how to win. Another update. It's college football week five. It's already week five. We're like five weeks away from the conference championship games. woo But anyway, scores. Number 10, Wisconsin squeaked by Northwestern, 33-24. to Number 7, Georgia keeps cruising over Tennessee, 41 nothing. Number 4, Penn State destroys Indiana, 45-14. Number 13, Auburn beats number 24, Mississippi State 49-10. to That's going to be a fun Auburn Bowl for the first time in a little while. Alabama's number one. Auburn's cruising. Number 11, Ohio State beat Rutgers 56-0. Number 6, Washington beat Oregon State 42-7. Number 1, Alabama destroyed Ole Miss 66-3. And let's get to the marquee games. Number 16, Washington State beat number 5, USC at the Palouse 30-27. This is a tight game throughout, as marked by the score. Uh, Sam Darnold had a rushing touchdown with 501 left to put USC on top. Eric Powell tied the game with a field goal with 140 left. Or actually, no, never mind. Darnold tied the game with 501. Eric Powell took the lead with 140, and Darnold fumbled to end the game. USC, uh, for them, they now have one loss, and I think they can still make the playoff based on their ranking before this game, but they're going to have to win out and they still have number 20 Utah, number 22 Notre Dame and UCLA left on their schedules. So, they can make it in with some quality wins. And they have a win over Stanford, which is nothing to scoff at even though Stanford's now unranked. Plus their losses to or was to a ranked confer- or is to a ranked conference opponent, number 16 Washington State. But I think they're going to need a powerhouse like Alabama or Clemson to lose one or even maybe two games including the conference championship game in order to make it in. Because the spots are pretty tight right now with Bam and Clemson, especially holding those top two spots. now, wazoo, they can win out for the playoff though this is highly unlikely because they also have number six Washington and number twenty Utah on their schedule. But the nature of college football, even if you can't win the national championship, get to a New year's six bowl. so they're still in the running for one of those, probably even if they get a loss on the other docket. Number two, Clemson beat number 12, Virginia Tech, 31-17. to And this is actually a little bit of cosmetic scoring because Virginia Tech scored a touchdown in garbage time. The Clemson defense dominates again, and Clemson beats another ranked team. This is, they're actually the first team to beat three AP Top 15 opponents before October. And if you step back, it's pretty amazing to think about. They beat Louisville. They beat Auburn. Now they have beat Virginia Tech in the first five weeks of the season. So that's an incredible resume when you're talking about the committee. So they can afford now one loss for sure, maybe two. Virginia Tech still only has one loss. This is their first defeat of the year. And right now it looks like they might face Clemson in the ACC title game again, although Georgia Tech proves a formidable opponent. NC State proves a formidable opponent in their division. So they both have a tough schedule left. And it looks like we're gonna have a lot of fun in the ACC and in the Power Five conferences roll into the end of the year. Finally, in the major topics, we are a quarter of the way through the NFL season. Whew! Anyway, season update. We're gonna go rapid fire through the divisions. Let's go. The AFC East. Buffalo is actually at the top of the division at three and one, especially with the surprise win over the Falcons. And the Patriots defense has really struggled this year, netting them two losses at home so they're 2 and 2. The New York Jets are actually 2 and 2 to everyone's surprise, and Miami is 1 and 2 right now. In the AFC West, the Chiefs are the only undefeated team left over at 4 and 0. Denver is sitting pretty at 3 and 1. Oakland offense is struggling, Derek Carr's out 2 to 6 weeks. So that's going to suck. And the LA Chargers who have virtually no fans in their home city are 0 4. In the AFC North, the Steelers look like the only playoff contender in that division. Because Baltimore is struggling. They're at 2-2. As Cincinnati and Cleveland are just horrible. Cincinnati only has a win because they played the Browns. And Pittsburgh's 3-1. They still have Big Ben. They still have AB. They still have Le'Veon. They're going to contend in the playoffs. In the AFC South, this is kind of a disgusting division, except for the Houston Texans, as Deshaun Watson has really risen up. He had a really good fantasy week last week. If you play fantasy, you know what I'm talking about. But he's going to take over that division because Jacksonville, Blake Bortles is throwing motion, is going to keep holding his team back, although he's had some good performances. Tennessee, Marcus Mariota is a franchise quarterback, but he's not a Super Bowl-winning franchise quarterback, and he's barely a playoff-contending franchise quarterback, in my opinion. Meanwhile, Indianapolis, as long as Andrew Luck is out, They're not going to be able to contend, although if Andrew Luck comes back, maybe they are not in too deep of a hole at 1-3 right now. In the NFC, moving on to the East, there's really no early favorite in this this division, except for maybe the Dallas Cowboys, but they have a rough schedule ahead. The Redskins, the Chiefs, and the Falcons are on their schedule coming up, so this is going to be a tight race going down. The New York Giants have surprised at 0-4. I like Washington, especially Kirk Cousins. He usually comes into his own toward the end of the year. And right now, Philadelphia is at the top of the division, but I don't think that can last for long. Meanwhile, in the NFC West, this is also a division where there's really no clear favorite right now. Even though the Seahawks look good in their Monday night or their Sunday night win against the Indianapolis Colts, their defense has struggled. And they're playing in a division like this, in a conference like this, if your defense isn't good, you're going to get let down. San Francisco's at 0-4, Arizona's at 2-2, and the LA Rams at 3-1. I really like their offense with Watkins, Gurley, and Goff, but we'll see if they can keep it going through the whole year. The NFC North right now looks like a two-team race between the Lions and the Packers, both at 3-1. The Lions may actually have a decent chance to win the division this year. Matthew Stafford showing up, especially after that big new contract that would incentivize anybody. Meanwhile, Minnesota just took a huge hit losing Dalvin Cook, so I think that may knock them out of the race. And Chicago, the Chicago Bears are at 1-3. I'm really excited about the debut of Mitchell Trubisky coming this week instead of Mike Glennon, so we'll see if he can be a Deshaun Watson-esque player and maybe lead Chicago to be a contender in the division this year. In the NFC South, the Falcons, of course, are the favorites coming off a Super Bowl loss. However, the Panthers had a surprise win over the Patriots this weekend in Foxborough, and they sit at the top of the division at 3-1. Tampa Bay's at 2-1, and, and the New Orleans Saints, who have kind of struggled all around, and they've made a habit of outscoring people, but they haven't been able to do it effectively this year. They sit at 2-2, two and, two, and that is the season update. It looks like I think we're going to be doing this every four weeks in a rapid fire like this, but we'll go back to highlighting the marquee games next week. All right, with that wrapped up, let's get to the quick take. Here we go. Oh, boy. Mark Cuban says he's, quote, considering, end quote, running for president, but he isn't committed. Wow. After the election of Donald Trump in the most recent election, we're starting to see more and more people, actually, who were entertainers, who were business moguls, who made a ton, a ton of money, using their popularity to boost to possibly a politician. Kanye 2020 didn't seem so real a few years ago, but now it really could. But anyway, Cuban said, quote, yes, considering yes, and quote, when asked if he might run and he's not ready to commit to it. However, Mark Cuban has been staunchly anti-Trump, and I really think that, I don't think him becoming a president would be, good for the country per se because i think you've seen we've seen this throughout history where people are always anti-establishment and i think if you need to counteract what trump has brought into the white house not necessarily with his policy or with his beliefs but with the paparazzi and the kind of demeaning of the presidential position i don't know if adding another business mogul is going to boost that position back up to maybe where it was a few years ago also mark cuban he's an outspoken guy I like him, he's a lot of fun, but I don't know if running for president might be the best idea. Okay, that was a very quick, quick take. But anyway, thanks for listening. Don't forget to send in questions via the email, thewongtakes at Don't forget to check out the Patreon, Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com slash thewongtakes. Check out the website, thewongtakes.wixite dot com slash thewongtakes. You can send questions via the email, the patron feed, or go to the website, there's a way to send questions there. I would highly recommend that you check it out, and I will see you next week.